All right. Well, happy Father's Day. Woohoo. Um, you guys are going to have to excuse me. I have my notes on my phone, and they're really little. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, anyways, uh, I'm Brittany. I know everybody here today. Hey, guys. So, as I was getting ready to talk about Father's Day today, I realized that I wasn't sure what to say. Um, as a mother, I am obviously much more intimately involved with all the fields of mothering, and as I am not a father, it's not quite the same for today. And so I was like, okay, thinking about it, and I did really the obvious thing. I Googled, why are fathers important? Uh, and I know they are. We can look in our communities. I, I can look at my life. I can look at my kid's life. I can look at my husband's life and see that fathers are so important. But I, was, but I was curious, like, let's see what, what is the impact that, that science, you know, says that this makes. And a number of studies that I looked at referenced how children that have fathers who are involved have better cognitive language and social development. It's not, and they do better in school, they handle their emotions better, they have better social skills, they have better self-esteem, all of these really important things. Um, the list goes on and on and on. And um, in our society, in our culture, I think it's really easy to think that a father's value is in how or how much they provide for their kids, how much they, their kids are able to do. Um, how much does a father make? How are they able to send their kids to camp? Are they able to buy them the instrument they want? Are they able to buy them all the things that they want? And if they can't do those things like do they really love their kids like if they can't give them these things that their kids want and um and even as the dialogue continues in our greater society in our culture today if a baby cannot be well provided for should that baby even be born <sighs> oh oh sorry yes the answer is yes thank you um but you know this brought me um, and in a similar way, I realize that I'm tempted to value God as a father based on what he gives me. Is my life easy? Do I get all the things I want? Are things happy for me all the time? Are they easy for me all the time? And if he loves me, shouldn't everything be perfect? I mean, he's big enough to do that. He's strong enough to do all that. Shouldn't that be the case? However, when I stop to really think about how God provides for us and what he gives us, I realize that it's his presence that provides the most for us. It's in we, if we're rich or poor, if we're sick, if we're healthy, if we're happy, if we're sad, in all of these things, um, his presence, his closeness is, provides, is what provides what we truly need. Peace, love, trust, security, joy, regardless of our circumstances, having God's presence, having his closeness is what provides what we truly need. And by his goodness, he also provides the other things like food and shelter and those things. Um, but in a similar way, I realize that that's what our earthly fathers have to give their kids that is of the most value. It's not giving them all the things. It's their presence, their time, their love, trustworthiness, playfulness, reliability, protection. Not just paying for everything their kids could want, but rather investing their time, their energy, in the day-to-day -day life of their children. And um, a father can 
provide and nurture and love and help their kids grow in a way that nobody else can, in the same way a mother can, but a father is special. Just like, and um, what a gift it is. However, um, Father's Day, just like Mother's Day when I talked about, isn't always a day that's full of joy. It's not always a day that's full of celebration. Um, this is something that in Russ and I and our family, we feel this because um, his dad isn't here anymore. And when his dad passed, his dad was not a follower of the Lord. And that's something that is heavy in our life. And while his dad was still here, he often hurt a lot more than he nourished. And so Father's Day, and that's just our experience. There's a lot of experiences, a lot that comes into Father's Day that is heavy and that can hurt. Um, but, one of the, but praise be to God whose power of redemption is big enough and strong enough for even this kind of brokenness, not having your father or longing to be a father or whatever that may look like, and that God can provide. He can be our father. And if our fathers are, have not fathered us well, God can heal and mend even that. His redemption is strong enough, is more powerful for even that. That wasn't the right verb, but... Um, so anyways, I know that I was looking at this a lot, but, it, but just this message that fathers matter in our society, and our culture, it's oftentimes like, oh, well, we don't need him. We do. But even when our fathers fail, when our fathers fail, God's redemption is more powerful. So anyways, Michelle's going to come up now. Um, well, let me pray real quick. Sorry. Um, Lord, I praise you so much that you have put these fathers here in our church, Lord, and I just praise you that the men who are here today are ones um, who love you, Lord, and who want to be the father that you created them to be and to represent you well to their children. And God, I pray that you will, um, just as you are leading us through Exodus and you're leading us to help bring people into your love and help join you in redeeming this place, God, I pray that you will help us be sensitive to the fathers, Lord, to the, our society expectations, the pressures, to the, the lies, um, and that you will help us to communicate love and truth that fathers matter. And God, I just praise you that ultimately you are our father and that you love us deeply and you care for us deeply and that you want us to be loved. God, I just pray... Um, that you just draw us closer and closer to you, Lord, and that your love will shine out through us, the people around us, and just praise you, Lord, for the fathers that we have. In your name, amen. Okay, guys, um, that was a great, um, great word from Brittany. I really appreciated that, just thinking about presence over provision. Um, that's just really good. Um, okay, we're going to totally switch gears now and do a little bit of a history lesson. Um, so I hope that's okay. Um, but I think it's history that's really important and that really matters um, in our time, in our context, um, and especially for our church and where our church is. Um, so what is Juneteenth and why does it matter to us? So we've got our event coming up on Wednesday. And so um, Will wanted me to give some like historical context to what Juneteenth is and why it's important and why we're actually putting on an event for it. Um, and we're really hosting the event. We're not necessarily, this is not an event for us, but it's one that we're hosting. Um, and I think it's important that we understand what it's about. 
Okay. So the the main um, event that it kind of centers around is what happened on June 19th, uh, 1865. This guy, um, General Gordon Granger, led thousands of troops to Galveston, Texas to announce that the Civil War had ended and slaves had been freed. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, around 250,000 Texan slaves had no idea that their freedom had been secured by the government. So this is right after the Civil War. Um, the Civil War ended uh, April 9th of that year, 1865, and so I mean, back then, it took a while for people to get, um, to get places, and so it was on June 19th that, um, that Granger arrived and made this announcement. So Juneteenth centers around this event. Um, it was really one of the last like, official places that freedom was kind of proclaimed um, for slaves. Okay, so what about the Emancipation Proclamation? So I always kind of thought, okay, that's when all the slaves were freed. So that's two and a half years before um, June, Juneteenth. So January 1st, 1863 is when the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. Um, but, like, and I always, like I said, I always thought that was, the, that was the event. But actually, the Emancipation Proclamation was really uh, made in order to preserve the Union, and it only applied to, um, to slaves where, who had been liberated by the Union Army. Um, so if we look at the next slide, um, I, I looked a lot to um, a, a black scholar from, he's from Yale, I believe, or Harvard, Henry Louis Gates. Um, so I liked what he said about it. The underlying proclamation, while of enormous symbolic significance, didn't free all the slaves, only those in the Confederate states in areas liberated by Union troops, and not those in the border states in which slavery remains legal until the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which didn't happen until January 31st of 1865. So that was another two years after the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. Um, and in fact, some slave owners after that 1863 proclamation went to Texas because they weren't under, um, they could kind of flee the Union Army, they could flee um, from having to abide by the Emancipation Proclamation. So Texas was still sort of the Wild West back then. Um, so when Gordon went to Texas, he uh, brought General Order Number 3. Um, which is this. So it says, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that of between employer and free laborer. So this proclamation said slavery, slavery's out, if you and part of the the or part of the order that was in there basically said like we encourage you to stay with your master for wages and so that was kind of an interesting aspect to it that they're like you just stay there but they'll pay you now and so um, there wasn't a lot of enforcement unfortunately one of the things that um, that happened happened a lot was that even if people tried to to flee they were still either killed, beaten, whipped, a lot of the same things still happened. Um, so even though it was, freedom was proclaimed, it wasn't necessarily enforced. Um, 
but this didn't stop people from celebrating. Um, early Juneteenth celebrations started the very next year in 1866. Um, and in the 1870s, as soon as um, black people could purchase land, they purchased Emancipation Park, which is now in modern, where Houston is now, um, and that's where they would hold celebrations. So it was like, it was a really quick, as soon as there was a date to rally around, they did. Um, unfortunately, after slavery, uh, racial inequality persisted. Um, there, were, there were many ways that people still, you know, the white slave owners figured out ways to keep using free black labor. Um, and so there was a decline in the celebrations um, because they, they still felt that yoke of oppression and it wasn't safe for them to gather. Um, again, this is from uh, Henry Louis Gates. Um, mine is really small, so I'm gonna hold it up. Um, with each new segregation law, with each new textbook, whitewashing and brutal lynching in the South, African Americans felt increasingly disconnected from their history, so that by the time World War II shook the nation, they could no longer faithfully celebrate freedom in a land that still rendered them second-class citizens, worthy of dying for their country, but not worthy of being honored or treated equally for it. So, the early 20th century, um, saw some Juneteenth celebrations, they declined um, until um, the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement really brought kind of a, um, a, some more energy, a resurgence um, to Juneteenth celebrations. So it was in 1979 that the first, um, the first official Juneteenth um, day was proclaimed in Texas. Um, so, and it was, it was initiated by Al Edwards, and Al Edwards said this about, um, about Juneteenth. This is similar to what God instructed Joshua to do as he led the Israelites into the promised land. A national celebration of Juneteenth, state by state, serves a similar purpose for us. Every year we must remind successive generation that this event triggered a series of events that one by one defines the challenges and responsibilities of successive generations. That's why we need this holiday. So when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness. Because he's talking about the Israelites and he's talking about going into the promised land and we have, as a church, have been talking about freedom from slavery in Egypt. And I was like, very excited about that. So I went to Joshua and I was like, what is he talking about? So um, it's Joshua chapter 4, and the whole chapter is about them crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and God did again what he had done at the Red, um, at the Red Sea and split the waters so that they could walk across on dry land. And so this is, what, um, this is the part he's referring to. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might... Fear the Lord your God forever. And just like we were, we've been talking about with worship and remembering and the power of remembering and what that does for us emotionally and psychologically um, and just as a society, the importance of remembrance. Um, and so I love that, um, that Al Edwards, 
he invoked that and he invoked even a memory of freedom from slavery from scripture to the importance of Juneteenth. So um, because of Jim Crow, segregation, redlining, mass incarceration, emancipation wasn't the end um, for slaves. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois, um, he said this, the slave went free, stood a brief moment in the sun, then moved back again towards slavery. And so I think that's why, that's part of why it's really important for us to recognize Juneteenth, to celebrate Juneteenth, um, because the work isn't done. Racism is alive and well, and we as believers are called to, um, to call out for equality of rights, equality of treatment, equality of opportunity for our fellow image bearers. Um, and Juneteenth is a celebration of their freedom, but also a reminder of their value and their humanity. And so um, one of the things that Henry Louis Gates talks about is that there were a lot of options for like when to ce celebrate black independence. Um, January 1st for the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, there was there talk about um, like April 9th or Frederick Douglass's birthday, different times. And I really liked what he said about the date of Juneteenth. Um, so I'm just going to close with that. Of all Emancipation Day observances, Juneteenth falls closest to the summer solstice, the longest day of the year, when the sun at its zenith defies the darkness in every state, including those once shadowed by slavery. By choosing to celebrate the last place in the South that freedom touched, we remember the shining promise of emancipation, along with the bloody path America took by delaying it and deferring fulfillment of those simple, unanticipating words in General Granger's original order number three, that this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. My hope this Juneteenth is that we never forget it. So that's what Juneteenth is all about, um, and that's why we're having our Juneteenth celebration uh, on Wednesday. And now I'm gonna turn it over to Will. Give her some of that. Y'all, we are so blessed uh, to have some incredible people in our, in our uh, congregation. You guys know that already. But, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, I wanted us to talk about this today. Obviously, I don't think that we can go through the book of Exodus and talk about freeing people from slavery without addressing the issue of slavery. Um, and so... As we are going through the book of Exodus, we begin to see these themes over and over and over again. Today is no different. We, we've seen this theme already. We're in Exodus chapter 17. Today we're going to go with verses 1 through 7. We're just going to hit a small chunk um, because my time's a little bit limited today. Um, but we see again that Israel um, is put into an uncomfortable position. And they, they get upset about it. They fuss at Moses. They fuss at God. And then God says, hey, trust me. I'm about to do a thing. And then God does the thing. And then Israel goes, oh, wow, look, it's God again. And we just, we see this over and over and over. And so from a pastor's perspective, as we see these same things over and over, we, you know, I want to look at this and say, God, what do you have for us in this passage today? And so I, because of the, the date that Juneteenth is now, uh, it's happening this week. The, as a matter of fact, the city of Alexandria has been um, celebrating. They started Monday night and the final celebration will actually be Wednesday evening. The reason that we're hosting something here is because of a couple of reasons. Number one, most of the people that live in this community um, don't have transportation to get there. Um, and you may think, well, what about city transit? Well, we're not in the city limits. Um, so city buses don't come here. And so um, we wanted to provide something. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more of that as we get further in. 
I, I titled today's message Awkward on Purpose for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's Father's Day, and we all know that fathers are awkward. At least this one is. Um, but as we, as we talk about Juneteenth, let's just be real and let's be honest. For most of us, that is an awkward topic to talk about, right? Because we don't, because that's not our heritage, it's not our history, we don't know what to say or how to say it and not be offensive, right? And so as we live out life in this community, and specifically, my mind is brought to the children that are part of our body, that are part of our membership, that as they grow older are going to be treated differently than the rest of our children, and we as a body of believers, we as a church family, need to know how to stand with those children, right? We need to know how to respond. We need to know what we think and what we believe about what these racial issues are around us so that we can be the brothers and sisters in Christ that we need to be for them. But we also need that for our family. So let's jump in today. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 17. Let's read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to dive into this, okay? All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Hurub, and I shall strike the and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the Lord of the elders of Israel, and he might call the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So last week we talked about, Glenn did a fantastic job, and thank you for that, of sharing what God's doing in their lives in terms of their provision. Last week we looked at Exodus chapter 16, where again we see, Mo, we see the Israelites complaining to God and complaining to Moses about not having enough to eat. And so God says, I'll provide. And God provides manna, and he provides quail. And, and you would think that after that, they leave that place where God, this place of provision... They move on as the Lord is directing, and they get thirsty. And, and you would assume that their mind would immediately go to God will provide, but it doesn't, okay? But Glenn talked about, and I love this last week, he, he, he talked about how God brings us from places of comfort into new places that are uncomfortable. And he does that so that we can know him and make him known. Glenn said last week that God always leads us from a place of provision. If we are in that abiding cycle, if you think about it, we're always moving from a place where God has put us, a place where God is providing what we need in that moment, to a new place. And that typically is uncomfortable for, for, for all of us. We have to start somewhere. And as we lead the place um, where we are and going to the place where God is taking us, it's going to be uncomfortable. It may be awkward. We see God doing this again in Israel because he's trying to teach them by experience who he is that one experience is not enough for them the second the third the fourth is not enough and so God is continually giving them experiences requiring that they 
they listen and they learn by experience who God is and what he's done for them. So look, I, I was thinking about our history um, about here at TGP West, okay? Um, some of you, uh, a few of you were here when we, when we planted this church, when we left the, the church, or didn't leave, we multiplied out from Lee Heights. We went, sent a, a group to Wardville and then God sent us here. And, and that was a long process, right? It took, I don't know, Glenn, how was that, a couple of years for God to work that through us to get us to this location. And first we met in, in uh, Aaron's office building and then we thought we were going to build across the street. Um, and, but then eventually God provided this building. Uh, and I've mentioned this so many times before, but of all of the places that God could send us in Alexandria, he sent us here. And he gave us a facility in this neighborhood where there's nothing for these kids and for these families. He gave us a facility that could facilitate doing community events. And I have not been bashful over the years to, to share with you guys my belief that God sent us here on purpose. And that that he has a call for us. And it's not just a call for Bethany and Brittany and Kyle and myself. Our ministry to this neighborhood is a call for all members of TGP West. I, I listened to a few of the simulcasts this week from the SBC conference, and I was able to listen to J.D. Greer at the beginning of the conference. And he points out that when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you also accepted a call to ministry. Those two are not exclusive from one another. In our American culture, we have created a divide in our minds where we have professional ministers and we have everyone else. But when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, come and follow me, and then I'm going to appoint a few. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Our call to ministry, and ministry, Talitha used to always say in college, ministry is simply meeting needs. And J.D. Greer brought out both the greatest commandment and the great commission. If you look in Matthew 22, 22, 36 through 40, it says this, the, the Pharisees ask, and they say, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so they ask, Well, who is my neighbor? And so... Jesus shares the story of the Good Samaritan. And we learn from that. We, I'm not going to read that story because we're all very familiar with it. But we learn through that story what Jesus is saying is that our neighbors are the people that God puts in our lives and makes obvious that there is need there. And, and church, we, we can't pass through this community every week and not see the needs that are here. God brought us here. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission, he says... Now to the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yesterday, we had a life group leader training and host home training, and it was incredible. Um, and David Miller yesterday taught a section on, on how do we know who it is that we are to bless. And, and David, I'm going to have you present that from this place very soon because it was, it was awesome, okay? He made the point that if you consider what you are passionate about, what you spend your money and your time on, that that is the group that you are best equipped to bless. He talked about how when we send out missionaries... Um, we, they have to go and they have to learn language and they have to learn culture in order to be able to speak life, gain uh, the ability to, to be heard in those cultures. 
And so when you do something that you're passionate about, you already speak the language. You already know the culture. And so you're, it's much easier to get moved. But he also mentioned that there are times in lives where God calls us specifically to a culture that is not our own. And that is a call that we share here. Okay? And that is what we're, we're talking about today. When we talk about Juneteenth, we're talking about meeting needs that exist in the place where God has put us. And look, if you're uncomfortable right now because you think I'm about to make a big ask, welcome to the party. Okay? This ministry is uncomfortable. Can I get an amen, Kyle? Okay? It's hard. It's not easy. I, what? Oh, nice. My boy. Look, the only reason I asked Kyle for an amen is because I knew Bethany wouldn't do it. All right. Look, I want to say this and I want you to hear me very clearly on this. This is not a big ask. Okay? There was a K on the end of that in case I didn't enunciate well. I gotta, I'm, I'm country. Sometimes you've got to be clear. Hear, oh, you're one to talk. <laughs> Russ Meek. All right, hear me on this. This is highlighted, and I want to be clear. We are all going to have varying degrees of involvement in this ministry. I'm not asking you to be a youth pastor in this community. I'm not asking you to do anything specific, okay? However, I also know that because God has not said to you, this is the thing that I want you to do on a regular basis, that we will use that as a cop-out to not be involved at all, okay? We have a unique opportunity in this neighborhood to meet needs that no one else in central Louisiana is willing to meet. There's no other churches in this area that have people that are willing to step outside of their culture to do something that is awkward for the sake of these image bearers of God knowing that they are loved and that they are valued. You guys are willing to do that. So I want to share with you today a couple of just practical examples of how you can participate in meeting the needs of this community. Okay? Again, don't make this a to-do list for yourself. Allow the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you as I list these things out. And these are not completely inclusive. This is not all the things. This is just a short list that I made for today to get your brains pumping, okay? One of the ways that you can help with the community kids is on Sunday mornings. If you see a child running around the building on a Sunday morning that you don't recognize, and it's not obvious that their parents aren't here, take that on as your responsibility, because what's going to happen eventually is that child is going to come to know you and you're going to know them and you're going to be able to, to minister to that child in a way that no one else can, okay? It's not Bethany and Brittany and Kyle and Maya's responsibility if community kids show up that, that oh, that's their problem. Y'all need to get them kids to quit running around in here because that's what they do, okay? Don't hand them a box of donuts, pat them on the head and send them on their way. That's not what they need, okay? What they need is somebody to put boundaries in their lives and to love them, Okay? And look, here's the thing is, that's the expectation from this community. You've heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. That's literally how they do things here. So when children show up here, the expectation of their parents is that the adults at this place are going to love their children and they're going to make them act the way they need to act. Now, we are not their parents. We're not going to go spank some kids. Okay, but if you're having problems and you know how to deal with it, come ask. Ask me. Ask Bethany is better because she's smarter than I am. Okay, but ask somebody. Number two, teach or co-teach a children's class one Sunday morning a month. 
Two weeks ago, we had a couple of kids here that wanted to be here, but we didn't have a teacher for them, and we had to send them home, okay? Again, not a guilt trip. It's a need that's here, okay? We're given an opportunity to share the gospel with these children, but we didn't have the manpower to do it. God is sending children to us. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not blind. The draw is chocolate donuts. But once we have their attention, why not share the gospel as well? Number three, participate in community activities like Juneteenth, okay? Show up early, help set up, stay till it's over, help clean up, and bring more food than you think we need, okay? These little kids come here every week hungry. Let's send them home with full bellies. Nothing communicates love like a full belly. Number four, pray. Just pray for these kids. Pray for this community. Ask us specifically who you can be praying for and we will give you a family and say these are the things that are going on in their lives these are the things that they need prayer for you may not be able to be here for some of these events it may not be in your gifting to work with children or youth and I get that but that doesn't mean that there's not something that can be done and look at some point God is going to bring the adults here too we're going to talk about that in a minute and there's going to be needs there right now what we have is the children and the youth but if you're not called to children and youth ministry or you're not able to participate in that way, pray. Or pick up trash in the parking lot or out in the yard. Nothing says to a community that you love them by, ta than by taking care of their community. Prepare or deliver food for community activities. And then lastly, help on Wednesday nights. Look, we, we asked the life groups to come on one or two Wednesdays on a year to come spend their life group time here with us, and you guys have been doing that, and I cannot communicate to you how incredible that has been. And not for me and Bethany and Kyle and Brittany, but for these children. Look, most of you know, if you've spent any time here, that most of these children come from very broken homes. And there are very few opportunities for, for men and women who they can respect that will speak love and truth and positivity in their lives. And when you come, and it may feel like, well, I didn't do anything. I was just here and handed out a grilled cheese sandwich. That means the world to them. And our ministry here is not about us and not how we feel. It's about taking care of these kids that we've been entrusted. Okay? And it's simple math. Four of us can't provide the amount of attention and love that all these children deserve. Right? Because if, if you've ever been around a child, you know how precious they are. And you know the value that they have, okay? And look, this is not about us wanting more people here, okay? If all of you showed up on a Wednesday night, it would be a disaster. It would be chaotic, okay? That's not what we're asking for. And I'm not trying to guilt you into something. And I say that over and over again because like everything else we do here at the gathering place, if God's not telling you to do it, then don't do it. But I also don't want us to not ask. This is about loving the community where God has placed us in such a radical way that not only do we know God by experience, but we make him known by the experiences that we provide for these kids. God put us here for a purpose. And, and listen, I know as well as any that this is hard. And I think if you take an honest look at what Moses is going through, what Moses was dealing with was hard. What Israel was trying to do was hard. And God calls us to hard things. Point number two I want to make today. It was harder for Israel to follow God into this new place than it was for Moses. Think about that. Moses had experience with God. He knew that when God said go, that God, 
that God was going to provide what they needed. Israel very obviously had not yet had enough experiences for them to know and trust them. When we read this passage, the ones before it, the ones after it, it's obvious that Israel is struggling with this. And you know from personal experience that when God is calling you to go to a place that is unknown, it's difficult. It is hard to step out in faith. It's important for us to remember that it is just as hard for others to join us as it is for, for them to join us. Did I say that right? It's important for us to remember that it's just as hard for others to join us as it is for us to join them. As I mentioned before, there is nothing for the people in this neighborhood to do. So we ask God, God, what can we do? What is a practical thing that we can do to, to provide some kind of activity for these children? He said, put up a basketball goal. So we did. I don't know if you guys have noticed, it's been there about a year. We've got a basketball goal over here about it. It's a little crooked, but Anthony and I did the best we could. Okay? Thank you, Anthony. We put up a basketball goal. It's been there nearly a year. Okay? And just now, the people in this community are comfortable enough to come and play ball while we are here. I don't know if you guys noticed when we had family night, I don't know if it was a month or two ago, there was a young man outside playing basketball. His name's Oliver. Had his headphones on. I went out and said hello to him. It was very awkward. It was an awkward conversation. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. But I said, hey, man, we're having an event inside. We're about to eat supper. Would you like to join us? He declined. I totally understood. And he continued to play ball. The next week, we show up. It's a Wednesday night. We're having Wednesday night activities. We open the gym up. We play basketball in the gym. It's a ton of fun. We got music playing. It's a great environment. Oliver, again, is outside. Got his headphones in. <coughs> Excuse me. Went up to Oliver. Said hello, reintroduced myself, asked me if he'd like to join us to play basketball. He declined, put his headphones back on. Give me just a second. <coughs> I'm very sorry, guys. The next week, we show up, Oliver's there, playing basketball. This time he doesn't have his headphones in. I don't know if it's a battery dead or if the Lord was doing something. We invited him to come in and play. And guess what? He did. He played basketball with us. He had a great time. The way Wednesday nights work, after the basketball game, about 7.15, we gather all the kids up, we eat a meal, and we have a Bible study. It's very short, and then we go play ball again. Invited Oliver to come and eat and join us for the Bible study. He did not. He left. He chose to leave. Which is fine. That's normal. The next week, Oliver comes, plays basketball, and guess what he does this time? He eats, and he stays for the Bible study. It's hard for them to come into our world, and that's what we're asking them to do. But we have to be just as willing to step into theirs. We cannot forget it's difficult for them. It took Oliver quite a long time before he was ready to interact with us, but once he did, he had an incredible time. Look, in our passage today, we see that Israel is quarreling with Moses because they are uncomfortable. No one likes to be thirsty. No one likes for their children to be thirsty. Look, when we are crossing cultures, there's going to be awkward moments. Because there are going to be things that we don't understand about them, and there are going to be things that they don't understand about us. This process takes time. And as people that are joining God to set other people free, we have to be willing to go into uncomfortable places, to have awkward moments for the sake of the gospel. Look, Juneteenth is a great example of that. And let me say this about the Juneteenth celebration. We're not expecting something huge. Most likely, we will have the same group of children that we always have on Wednesday nights, maybe one or two adults sprinkled in, maybe. 
our expectation is that just like everything else we do, it's going to start small and it will build. I don't know if you've noticed, when we first started having community events here, we just had a few. And each time it builds. And there's a few more people, there's a few more adults. And the reason for that is these people are learning to trust us. They're learning, just like Oliver, that we're not here to slap them in the face of the Bible and tell them about their sin. We're here to love them and provide needs, provide for the needs that they have. Okay? For you and I, Juneteenth has never been on our radar because it's not in our, whole, it's not in our culture. We were not, in our past history, been enslaved. We have not been persecuted. We've not been torn down because of our race and our heritage in our daily lives. But God has put us here in this community to do just that thing. To put it on our radar. To love those people. And look, if you look back at particularly Southern Baptist heritage and most others, we enabled slavery. We hid passages of scripture from slaves that showed that they were the same image bearers that we were. And so we have a responsibility as a church and as a people to say that slavery never was and still is not okay. The way we love this community is what communicates their value. The things that we do. Okay? And why do we do that? Because they're our neighbors. Because God has put us in their community. He has shown us the needs. And just like us, they need to know how much God loves them. This church is the way that God's chosen to communicate that truth to them. Last point. We must ask God how to accomplish the ministry that he set before us. We say that over and over and over again, and it's always true. We see again in verse 4, Moses is confronted by Israel, and we see it over and again with him. He finds himself with no answers, no idea how to fix the problem, so what does he do? Look at verse 4 through 6. So Moses cried to the Lord, what should we do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses said, Moses did so in the sight of the elders. The ministry that we have in this community isn't something that we dreamed up because it was a good thing. We're not doing this because it makes me feel better about being a person. We are doing this because God's called us to it. We're here week in and week out, and we see hurt, distrust, hunger, hopelessness, and the list can go on and on and on. But just like God did, or just like Moses did, we're going to God and saying, God, we see these needs. How do we help? Look, I, I know there's no quick fix for these people's lives. And honestly, it would be beyond prideful to think that we could. That's not what they need. They need a Savior. Okay? We are fully aware that we're powerless to fix their lives. We don't want to. Here's what we know. We know that there are needs here. We know that God has put us here. We know that God loves them just like he loves us. And we know that God has called us to love our neighbors and to make them disciples. Again, if you've come on a Wednesday night, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay? Here's what that says to these kids and, these parents, and their parents. Us giving up our time and our resources tell, uh, tells those parents that their children have, are of more value than those things I just listed. It tells the parents that their children are more valuable to this church than our time and our resources, and that's a big deal. Because no one else shares that truth with them. The Wednesday night program, our Juneteenth block party, the Easter egg hunts, trunk or treat, the Christmas party, 
We do these things because God has instructed us to do so. We ask God, how do we engage this community? And those are the ways that he's given us. Okay? Our passage today ends with this. Exodus 17, 7. And he called the name the place of Massa and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Israel was in great need and God is the only hope that they had. But they don't yet understand that he is it. You've heard the saying, you don't know what you don't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. And the people in this community don't know how much God loves them. And they don't even know they need it. But there are people in this community asking the same question right now. They're going to phrase it differently, but they're saying, is the Lord among us? Does God love us? Is God real? And we have the answer to that question. And they're waiting for us to share it. We have stories that share God's goodness, His faithfulness, His provision. And our list can go on and on. We are their Moses. That is our call. Yes, we are Moses to the people that we do life with, that we do work with, that we do things that we're passionate about, people that are in our life group. But we are also Moses to this community. The only way we ever get to share those stories is by earning the right to be heard. Yesterday during our session, Talitha said over and over, she, she taught a session on holistic ministry. The only way you earn, earn the right to be heard is by spending time with people. And that may not be your call for this ministry, but you may be in a support role. And we're going to talk about that a little bit over the next couple of weeks. About how we are called as a body to support one another. Okay? But we have to earn the right to be heard. And the only way we do that is by spending time with them. And what will happen when we do, when we spend time with this community, when we love them in the way that God's called us, it's going to be like Moses striking the rock with his staff. The water is going to flow and the thirst is going to be quenched and people are going to know that God loves them. I want to end with this, this uh, quote today. I've been reading a book I've shared with you guys before by Eric Mason called Woke Church, an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and justice. And he says, our, which he's talking about the church, call today is to live like a true family. We should be so radical in our care for one another and for people in general that the world has to stop and take notice. Church, we have everything within us that we need to be that. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have a desire to obey Him. So, Juneteenth, why are we doing it? We're doing it because God's called us to it. We're doing it because it's important for the people in this community to understand that they are image bearers of God, that they have value, and we know it. And we love them because God loves them. Okay? I know that we talk about this community a lot. I believe that one of my primary callings for this community is to be their, their banner waver. To say, don't, because everyone else around here forgets about them. And we cannot. Okay? I'm going to bring it up a lot. But I don't want you to think that Will's trying to guilt you into being here on a Wednesday night. Okay? That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, ask God what your role is in loving this community. Can we do that? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this community. God, I thank you for the awkward moments that you provide for us. God, I thank you that you have given us the joy and the privilege and the responsibility of sharing with these men and women, with these children in this community, how much you love them. And Father, I pray that you would give each of us the desire to be obedient to you in our call to this ministry. 
knowing that it's going to be difficult, knowing that it's not going to be easy, but knowing that because we are obedient, we will come to know you and they will come to know you. Father, we know by experience that when we are obedient in the hard things, you change us forever. God, that you bring up joy and peace and happiness that can be found nowhere else but in our obedience to you. So God, as we leave today, as we go about the rest of our day celebrating our fathers, Father, I ask that you would help us to recognize that you are our good, good father. And that when we, when we focus on being obedient to you, God, that as we work together, all of us accomplishing the goals that you've set before us, that our yoke is easy and our burden is light. 